you ready to talk sports with one of the leading sports journalists of today? Welcome to All Around Sports with John Inglesby. John's years of experience as a journalist has allowed him to net exclusive interviews with the top players, former players, commissioners, and owners. John and his guests are ready to give you the straight word when it comes to sports. Now, let's talk all around sports. Here's your host, John Inglesby. Voice America, welcome to the 25th ever Silver Anniversary Show of All Around Sports, live from Boston, Massachusetts. Each Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, we will go all around the world of sports for one hour to discuss what happened this week and what's coming up for the weekend. To join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net, which comes to me right through my website at www.iirsports.com. Well, as always, it was another wild week in sports, this one wilder than most. And as usual, I would discuss the highlights, lowlights, and bizarre news items that dominated this past week's news. Well, my highlight of the week was, like many of you, watching baseball on Wednesday night. It maybe was the greatest 90 minutes of clicker control in the history of sports television. Uh, it was literally reality television reaching new heights with the three baseball games delivering drama never before seen in the history of baseball during a re- the regular season. Of course, I'm talking about uh, the Red Sox-Orioles, the Tampa Bay Rays-Yankees, and the Philadelphia Phillies-Atlanta Braves, all running concurrently throughout the evening. <clears throat> Uh, not to mention the St. Louis Cardinals beating up on the Houston Astros. Uh, but those other three games were all running at the same time, all reaching their tremendous, dramatic conclusions at about the same time. So somewhere in that kind of uh, 11 p.m. Eastern time through like 12.30 a.m. Eastern time, Wednesday into Thursday, uh, it was all happening, and it was just absolutely incredible. Uh, as all of you know, with DVRs, uh, you can really only record one show at a time if you want to be switching back to other channels. So uh, I basically was trying to watch every pitch of three baseball games all happening at the exact same time. Not an easy chore, but uh, I think I probably did as good as uh, any human being could do in Seeing it all, I, did, I didn't miss anything significant as it turned out, but was very nervous that I might. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so it was just simply incredible. Uh, we'll get into all of those highlights as we move along through the show, needless to say. And uh, there were many, many countless ones and uh, uh, ones that will live forever in baseball lore. Uh, let me get to this week's low light, which is, again, in the world of baseball. And it was the... Mets Jose Reyes asking out of the game after his first plate appearance uh, on Wednesday, the last day of the season. This was Wednesday afternoon. He laid down a bunt that gave him uh, a pretty good lead in the National League batting race uh, over Ryan Braun of the Brewers. Uh, basically, after he got the bunt hit, and I have no problem with him bunting, uh, it forced brawn into a situation where he'd have to get basically three hits that night to tie and or surpass him. And Reyes then just took himself out of the game. He had prearranged this with the manager, 
and said if I got a hit, he wanted out. He got a hit, and he got out. And it happened to coincide with the 70th anniversary of Ted Williams insisting on playing in a doubleheader uh, many years ago, as in 1941, as he sat, uh, as Ted Williams sat on a 400 batting average that that morning, and uh, insisted on playing. He went six for eight to finish at 406, uh, one of baseball's truly iconic numbers. And uh, here we are, fast forward today, and Reyes couldn't even play a full game on what may have been his last day as a New York Met because he is now a free agent. So it just goes to show how far the uh, modern athlete has fallen. I mean, if I paid to get to that game, if I'm a big New York Met fan, I'd pay to go see that game and, of course, their best player play his potential last game while going for the batting title. And he pulls himself out after a bunt hit. Um, uh, apoplectic over that. And uh, There's a rumor in Boston, and this is the first of uh, many rumors I'm going to get into, uh, that Reyes may be coming to the Red Sox. And boy, let's just hope that's not true, because that would be adding gasoline to this fire that has just erupted up here. So that leads right into, of course, my bizarre sports story of the week, which is, of course, no surprise, the collapse of the Boston Red Sox, who uh, basically had the worst September collapse in the history of baseball. That's saying something. And here we are on the last day of September, a month that will truly live in infamy uh, forever in New England. Uh, September has now become a four-letter word. It was actually, uh, will forever live in, in Red Sox uh, lore because John Lester, when asked immediately following the game what, uh, what he's going to remember about 2011, he responded with one word, September. And he's got it right. That's all that's going to need to be said. It will never for never have the same meaning up here again. It used to mean a lot of things like fall and football, and it will forever go forward, the word September, meaning Red Sox claps. So the winter of our discontent has uh, already begun with the reported firing of manager Terry Francona as of literally moments ago. It isn't official, but... Uh, Everybody is reporting it. The Boston media has literally and figuratively stormed the gates at Fenway Park as we speak. They are storming the gates. Fred Kona went in for a meeting. He left. He literally just reported moments ago. He's arrived back at his home in Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts. And, uh, and we shall see. But I totally expect that he will be fired. Uh, frankly, I think he just needs to be fired. Uh, he himself admitted in a press conference yesterday, literally 18 hours after the grueling uh, loss to the Orioles on Wednesday night, uh, you know, that he had lost the clubhouse. Um, he said there were problems that he could not fix. And I'm not blaming a bad clubhouse on him, but the fact is he had a bad, bad clubhouse and he couldn't fix it. And, you know, Neither could anybody else. So it's uh, it's really a crazy feeling up here right now. It's like the bad old days have returned. Uh, the old school Red Sox misery of pre two thousand four. Um, uh, 
you know, it's just the ugliness is just beginning. Trust me. Um, this is going to get really bad. Nobody plays the blame game like Boston in the world of sports, especially where it concerns the Red Sox. So we are just at the beginning of what is just going to be, uh, as they're calling it up here, a nuclear winter. And uh, I have no doubts that is exactly what it will be. Uh, it's been an incredible month to, to witness living up here, as I do, uh, literally uh, half an hour from Fenway Park. And I knew there were problems about two weeks ago. I was in walking down literally in front of Fenway Park, and I'm a guy who sees signs and things like that. And uh saw something that, you know, told me that this was a big problem. Uh, the collapse was about halfway through the month, and I saw two... Red Sox senior executives walking down the street uh, towards me, busy crowded sidewalk in front of Fenway. They were clearly in their own world and uh, talking very intensely and animated. And uh, one of them, and they're all buttoned up, trust me, and one of them just had, uh, you know, the suit pants on and a collared shirt like you'd wear with a suit. And it's going to sound like a strange little thing, but the shirt tail was out and a uh, disheveled look, the animated conversation of these two Red Sox senior management people, and it was just a sight I never would s- thought I would see. It would be uh, this particular individual looking disheveled, and that's when I knew they had a problem, and it was probably a problem they weren't going to be able to fix. And it just reminded me of, uh, you know, back in 2007 when uh, when the week before the Super Bowl, the undefeated Patriots team against the Giants down in Phoenix, there was a nightly news report of showing the offensive line in this spectacular resort in Phoenix, uh, basically coming out of a spa, all wearing white terry cloth, expensive bathrobes. And I remember at the time thinking, hmm, I don't like that. And sure enough... Uh, it was the offensive line who were the biggest culprits in the Patriots losing their chance at an undefeated season and simply the greatest sports story of our generation. It even I'll even go as far as to say it reminded me a little bit of The Godfather uh, Part 2 when Michael Corleone, a.k.a. Al Pacino, uh, was down in Cuba and he witnessed the rebel blowing himself up and that's when he realized he, he saw and took that sign to mean that the revolution wasn't going away and the government that he was about to partner with was probably going to be toppled. So, um, again, they, they couldn't fix it. We all know that. Uh, it was, you know, and boy, now they've really got a problem on their hands. There is no short-term fix here. They have uh, a couple of long expensive contracts of their three highest price free agent signings and trades of the last two years, which is, of course, John Lackey, Carl Crawford, and Adrian Gonzalez. They're all going to be around for a few years, and they're all being paid a lot of money, so there's no way to get, well, they can get rid of them, but they're going to have to eat a ton of money. So it's just not really, really a great option. And so I wonder, how, you know, how did the Red Sox get to this point and I you know look back uh, to 2003 more specifically 2004 when they won the World Series broke the curse and of course you know the great comeback against the Yankees and although they won it and they were thrilled to break the curse 
they wanted to go corporate, meaning they did not like the idiot image that Johnny Damon had coined, uh, the free spirit that Kevin Millar and Jack Daniels shots before games had uh, had brought, and they basically immediately started to move away from it. The Patriots at that point had won two, if not three, Super Bowls uh, with a total corporate image approach with complete control of what was said to the media. Believe me, the Red Sox weren't there in all those dealings back then, and they desperately wanted to control it. They did. They got rid of the idiots. Uh, but it also, you know, they got rid of a piece of their soul back then. Although they survived that and moved on to the corporate image and did indeed win again in 2007. And although there were no idiots left around by then, there were people like Kurt Schilling, huge, strong personalities who could take control of the clubhouse. So when Terry Francona lost the clubhouse this year, there was no players in that clubhouse to just fall back on. None. And I look at this whole collapse and also comeback of the Tampa Bay Rays, which was equally compelling in, in my mind as being, uh, you know, represented so well by really just two people. Number one, the aforementioned Johnny Damon. Uh, when all was said and done, who was standing in the winner's circle on Wednesday night? Johnny Damon, as he was in 2004 with the Yankees and his two home runs, including the Grand Slam in Game 7 at Yankee Stadium, the key game in breaking the curse. And, of course, as he was with the Yankees a couple years ago in the World Series, where he played a pivotal role. Um, and the other person, of course, has to be just Carl Crawford. Uh, obviously, $142 million over seven years. An eminently catchable ball that would have ended that game on Wednesday night and thereby saved the Red Sox season. Uh, I'd be standing here today talking about game 163 yesterday in the playoffs, a playoff, a play-in game, so to speak. And uh, it didn't happen. Crawford muffed it. It's not an official error, but it might as well be. He should have had it. Everybody knows it. And, you know, of course, where did Carl Crawford come from? Well, the Tampa Bay Rays, the team that just uh, completed one of the great comebacks in baseball history. And I just, uh, if I could get in somebody's mind right now, I'd love to know what's in Carl Crawford's mind. Uh, there he was, played his entire career at Tampa, completed his free agency, and as he has every right to do, went for the contract. He got it, but he left the Rays, came to the Red Sox. He's had a horrible season, and I, I think he... And Johnny Damon represent the juxtaposition of what has really gone on here in the month of September. And, uh, boy, it is just going to be something to watch, to put it mildly. And my last comment is just simply, uh, of all the things we witnessed on Wednesday night, what I thought was the absolute most compelling and riveting was Dan Johnson's ninth inning, two out, two strike, home run, the season's on the line. He didn't have to hit a home run, but if you made an out, season's basically season's over. Although, if they, it turns out they would have lost, Red Sox would have lost. We would have had that playoff game yesterday. But at, the point, at that point, the Red Sox were ahead. People were thinking they were going to win. And therefore, it felt like at that moment when Dan Johnson's at the plate that the Rays season was on the line. He hits a home run. I have to ask, you know, Joe Madden, the manager, 
How did he pick him? Dan Johnson had the lowest batting average in the league, in maybe in all of baseball. His last home run was in April. When he came to the plate, the home the announcer said he has quote home run power, which meaning he means he's capable of hitting one out. Uh, I don't think anybody expected he would. But in contrast, uh, three minutes after the Red Sox loss ended, and they, I went of course right to Tampa Bay, and there's Evan Longoria. He's aware the crowd has seen the score. They're cheering wildly. Longoria's aware that the Red Sox have lost, and I definitely thought he might hit a home run. He had just hit a three-run homer in the eighth to tie it, bringing them back from, not to tie it, but to bring them from 7-0, losing to the Yankees to 7-6. And then, of course, Dan Johnson tied it up to 7-7. Then Longoria wins it. And truly one of the great moments in baseball history. And you saw it. It was great. Unforgettable. Uh, and hopefully uh, there's more ahead here in the postseason. So now, as my former co-host, Lemont Williams from Outside the Huddle, likes to say, let's take our break. And on the other side, Chaz Scoggins from the Lowell Sun, who has covered the Red Sox for decades. And I can't think of a better guest to have talk about the Red Sox current state than Chaz. So, catch you on the other side. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network and let's talk football. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1 888 346 9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment two of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144. Or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. Well, it's that time of the show when we often have guests join us. And on the line is Chaz Scoggins of the Lowell Sun, a newspaper up here near Boston uh, where he and I worked together many years ago. And Chaz has covered the Red Sox and baseball for decades. 
and is also one of the official scorekeepers at Fenway Park for the Red Sox. And Chaz, thanks for joining us. And I can't think of a better guest than you to discuss the uh, cataclysmic events we have witnessed in the past month uh, leading up to Wednesday night's uh, unforgettable drama. How are you doing? Well, not too bad, John. Not too bad. That's good. Well, we saw baseball history on Wednesday night and really up here in, in Red Sox Nation land uh, for the past month. And no one knows the Red Sox history of the past 30, 40 years better than you. What were your thoughts? I was thinking uh, pretty much the same way the, the Red Sox players seemed to think throughout the uh, entire month of September that you know, talent was going to turn it around. And you kept saying at some point, you know, they they stop this losing streak and and they go on a winning streak. But as we found out, talent is not enough. You've also got to play with some heart and some passion. And uh, and and ultimately, they were just doomed by playing a lot of bad baseball, a lot of bad pitching, uh, you bad clutch hitting. Anything that could have gone wrong could have gone wrong. By the time they got back home for the last home stand and they lost uh lost three out of four to the Orioles, I began to have serious doubts that they were that they were uh going to be able to, to turn it around and uh so I'm not the least bit surprised that uh, that it ended up the way it did. Yeah, there just seemed to be, you know, a sense of resignation to it. I, I wouldn't say, you know, it was on their faces as much as say the Atlanta Braves, particularly on Wednesday night. I mean there still seemed to be a little more emotion on the Red Sox side than, say, what I was seeing from the Atlanta Braves as I watched on Wednesday night. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the ship was sinking, and no one was able to stop it, not, man- not the organizational management, not Tito, Francona, the manager, and, and most importantly, you know, not the players. Uh, you, you know, what do you think was the... Just the key to that was it just uh, the makeup of the player of the overall players in the clubhouse? What would you pinpoint? Actually, I think it goes all the way back to to spring training, John. And I'm not sure that the Red Sox were uh, fully prepared, or well prepared, did enough work in spring training to be ready for the season when they got off to that 0 and 6 and 2 and 10 start, which caught everybody by surprise because, like everyone else. I was convinced that you know this was the team of destiny that they were going to go to the World Series again for the first time since 2007. But as I watched them go through that at the start of the year and uh, and play some bad baseball, and the first time I saw a team uh, attempt and, and and succeed in a double steal of home and second base, and and the Red Sox played it like they'd never seen the play before. I began to wonder exactly how much attention they'd paid to detail and fundamentals in uh, in spring training, or whether they just you know took for granted that the talent was just going to be enough to carry them through all this. There are other things that bothered me early in the in the year as well, mostly a failure to uh, to perform well in situational hitting, uh, uh, mostly runners on on third base with less than two outs. The Red Sox were terrible from the beginning of the season. At that, and, uh, and these problems continued to persist throughout the summer. And then, when the next four and a half months, they rolled up the best record in baseball. Uh, I think you know, people thought, okay, this is beyond them. But there are still troubling aspects: of the, the fundamentals, bad base running, uh, mistakes like that, that 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 I think were masked by uh, by the success. And then on September, all of a sudden, that stuff came back 
to uh, to haunt them again, and it was it was too late to turn things around. I think at the press conference yesterday, the post mortem uh, with with Theo Epstein, he pretty much echoed the same things I did that he just didn't feel this team was fundamentally prepared to uh, to handle it. Yes, I mean, who would have ever thought? Uh, as you referenced earlier. Uh... As we all would know up here in Boston on opening day, the Boston Herald, a newspaper you and I both know well, uh, ran a headline, the greatest team ever, and now they uh, uh, have, you know, done the greatest choke ever. And it's just incredible. But if you, you know, knowing how many years you've covered baseball and you've kind of seen it all, but have you ever seen anything even remotely like this? No, I mean, in... in the only thing I can think of that approximates this is probably 1974 when the Red Sox had a seven-game lead with 38 to play and had a 14-game swing in the standings in, the, in those last 38 games and ended up third. That was just a failure of, of the team to hit. Their pitching was actually better in that stretch than it had been during the, uh, the, during the, the, you know, the, the previous months of the season. They just could not score runs, and that hurt them. But this was a case where it was just a total failure in every aspect of the game. Bad defense, bad base running, bad hitting, bad pitching, bad relief pitching. You name it, everything was everything was, was going wrong. It just all collapsed on them at the same time. So, yeah, by far, this was the worst. Even in 78, people only remember the playoff game that they lost and, and the big lead that they lost, but forget that they won 13 of their last 15, including the last eight in a row to force the playoff. I mean, that team uh, had a lot more to be proud of than this one. Absolutely. And, you know, at the center of it, obviously, the epicenter of the collapse is, you know, the failure of the starting pitching to uh, perform in any way, shape, or form. I mean, they, they like many of uh, this team's, you know, recent plays showed, I mean, they set records for futility and, you know, John Lester and Josh Beckett at the top of the rotation. What do you think went on there? I mean, pitching is a little different, you know, where it just went so bad for everybody all at once, whereas, you know, it's a little different than, you know, not hitting and things like that. I mean, slumps, if you will, and hitting. But what's your take on the demise of the starting pitching in the month of September? Uh, I, I can probably go back to the uh, first game of the series in Baltimore uh, and the game that Beckett pitched, and it just baffled me that a, a player who's been on two world champions pitched key victories in both those uh, World Series, pitched like, pitched like he was scared. I mean, I'm yep. looking, he's going up against Mark Reynolds and Chris Davis, guys who are known to be contact-challenged, and he's nibbling with them. He's not, going, he's not challenging them. He's trying to, uh, as if he's afraid to throw them, throw them strikes. He was unable to finish off hitters. He'd get ahead of them one and two and then, you know, start nibbling. And it was just so unbeckett like that uh, it, it just astonished me. It was like he'd lost confidence in everything, uh, everything that the whole team pitched, the whole pitching staff pitched without confidence, I think, in September. Yeah, and uh, I think you make a good point because Beckett is the leader of that pitching staff, in my mind, the emotional leader, and if not the entire team. And, you know, he's got that Texas swagger going. He's got some incredible victories under his belt, i.e. 2003, his rookie year, goes in and wins the World Series at Yankee Stadium, and 2007 where he goes in, down, Red Sox down 3-1 in Cleveland, and he goes into uh, Jacobs Field and wins that game, and... I think if he lost confidence, and there's every reason to believe he did, it was just evident to us. 
I think it's probably was contagious, you know, and I spread think, to the know, rest I, of the staff. I, I can't, yeah, I can't believe that this isn't going to cost uh, pitching coach Kurt Young his job. I mean, if, if there be changes to made, that's changes to be made, John. I think that's one of them that is going to be made because uh, either this guy was a fraud or Red Sox pitchers made him look like a fraud. He, he Matt Albers had a terrific first four months of the season. Uh, Young had two months to turn him around, turn Albers around, couldn't fix him in two months. Daniel Bard goes sour in September. He had four weeks to fix Daniel Bard, couldn't fix Daniel Bard. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think Young will be the fall guy in, uh, for, the, for the pitching staff. But even then, you kind of want, uh, Terry Francona, I think, has to take some of, the, uh, some of the blame for this as well because he's always proud of saying, you know, you, you monitor pitchers' innings in the beginning of the season. Make sure they're strong at the end. Don't burn them out too early in the year. And yet at a time of the season when you're expecting Red Sox starters to go the extra inning, they were pitching fewer innings than ever before in September. It was just amazing how they could not get out of the fifth inning, sometimes couldn't even reach the uh, the fifth inning. And you have to wonder, and maybe conditioning is part of this, because we heard Theo Epstein also, uh, also uh, mention his concerns about the conditioning of some members of the team as well. But uh, I have a I have a particular uh, stat that that I like. We all know what quality starts are, which I think is is bogus. To me, what I like to call a genuine quality start is a start where a starting pitcher goes at least seven innings and gives up three runs. I don't care whether they're earned or unearned. And the Red Sox pitchers through until August first had thirty of those games where they went at least seven innings and gave up three runs or less. They had only three after August 1st, and it baffles me how that, how that pitching staff could fall apart like that. I agree. So, Chaz, as we head towards uh, our close of this segment, where do they go from here? What do you see happening? Uh, I think it's going to get really ugly. Uh, what do you see happening? Well, I think the core, of the, talent, the core is still there. The talent is still there. They just, but I think they need to... Uh, realize that it isn't just enough to show up and win. I think this is a team that has to dedicate itself more to uh, to fundamentals next year. A team that has to stay focused. Team that has to has to uh, uh, play learn learn to play the game the way it's supposed to be played instead of just relying on on talent to carry it, which I think was the big big problem. Yeah, I agree. And you know, the big question is, you know, can these people? do it i mean you, you know i look at again the 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 new high-priced free agents which are lackey crawford gonzalez to say they've had a rough start here in boston is a complete understatement uh you know they've missed the playoffs the last two years and basically can they do it i mean you know can they suck it up and you know i don't know what they were looking for in boston but i'm assuming it was championships and now all of a sudden they find themselves here in uh about as low as you can go, and a lot of work ahead. So, do you, get, do you think these guys, you know, along with the the old guard, shall we say, from Ortiz to Papelbon to Pedroia, do you think they can suck it up and be part of the solution as opposed to part of the problem? I don't. I really don't think character uh, is, is is the issue. They didn't play with character in September, but I really, really don't think that's the problem on this team. I think they just have to find a way, a way to pull together and, and be willing to each, uh, to willing shoulder each individual, his shoulder, his, his part of the load, instead of expecting somebody else to do the little things. 
Okay. And Chaz, why don't we close with this? Uh, as, as you well know, and I well know, right up here in Boston, it's nonstop media storming the gates of Fenway. And uh, we're hearing, you know, all kinds of reports that Terry Francona has indeed been fired. Uh, we don't know. Um, what do you think is going to happen there? Because whatever is going to happen will, may, may happen by dinner time tonight. Well, I, 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 I'd be surprised, really, if Francona's gone. Like I, like I said, I expect that Kurt Young won't be back, and I expect that Theo, uh, Theo Epstein is going to stay around here as well. But, uh, you know, I, I, there, there are issues. I don't know how they can, how, how they can solve the lackey problem. It was just, just a mistake, and he's only made things worse. The Crawford signing I never understood simply because there was where were they ever going to hit him in this lineup and wherever they batted him he, he didn't seem comfortable and I don't know how you uh, how you're going to be able to resolve that issue where are you going to hit him in the lineup that's going to make him a productive player again yes yes lots of problems lots of issues and then you know Adrian Gonzalez and how's that all going to play out he did not endear himself to Red Sox fans with some of his comments afterwards but uh, after Wednesday night's loss but so it sounds like, you know, Kurt Young, the pitching coach, could end up being sort of the fall guy, which I guess makes sense. I mean, it was, again, the end of the day, it was about starting pitching. That's what, you know, keyed the claps, so to speak. And so it's going to be interesting to see. Should be an interesting day, should be an interesting weekend, and should be a very interesting winter. Uh, do you agree that they got a lot of work to do? I mean, they, they really have a lot of issues to deal with. He, I don't really I expect believe. them to see them in terms of work to do. I really don't expect to see them to do much in the way of pursuing free agents or, uh, or, uh, or, or making trades. So nothing major that I can see there. I, say, I, I think the core of the team is, is pretty much solid. It's just a matter of, of, of getting the most out of what they have. Okay. Well, again, they were called the greatest team ever a mere six months ago in print. And uh, we'll see if they can uh, somehow in the future live up to that headline. And, Chaz, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Your perspective, as always, was terrific. You were the perfect guest on the perfect day. So All right, John. We will, uh, I'm sure, be talking soon, and it should be great uh, watching the postseason now. That, uh, let's hope there's as much drama in the next month as there's been in the past month. Well, aside from the way it ended for the Red Sox, that last day of the baseball season was for for all the teams involved in, uh, in playoff races. That was one of the great nights in baseball history. It truly was. It was just special, to say the least. And uh, again, uh, October comes tomorrow, and that means October postseason baseball should be great. I know you'll be into it. I'll be into it. And uh, uh, with this past Wednesday night as a launching point, I think much of America is going to be into it. Yeah, and then uh, see who how it goes, and uh, find out just who the best team is. And it's just going to be a shame the Red Sox aren't going to be part of it. I agree. I agree. It's going to be interesting to watch. And uh, Chaz, thank you again. And with that said, uh, it's time for our break. And joining us uh, next will be our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. <laughs> flagship station for sports voice america sports 
Super Bowl champ Lionel Dalton is taking to the internet airwaves with his own brand of sports talk. You'll go inside the mind of the players and find out if blacklisting really happens, what their thoughts are on training camps, where the former NFL players are now, and why being drafted by the wrong NFL team can kill a promising player's career. Lionel will also cover what's up with the Baltimore Ravens. Tune in to Sports Talk with Lionel Dalton live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. The revolution has begun with Jim and Trav. Listen this week as Randall Eden, Shannon Young, Josh Fleming, and Joe Hosmer tell us why it's important to get our kids in the outdoors. Plus, Cat Daddy will have some catfishy tips, and Nick Rhodes has a new twist on wildlife management you'll want to hear. This is sponsored by Ram Trucks at RamTrucks.com. Wednesdays at 1 Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. I'm Jim Ferguson. I'll see you on the trail. Do you think that all of the generic financial information you get every day is hard to navigate? You need to tune in to Duffy's Financial Playbook. Every weekend, Andreas Duffy will help you filter out this information and turn it into wisdom that you can really use. Be informed about the financial decisions you're about to make instead of just blindly making decisions. Andre's connections in the business and professional sports world will help you so you don't need to worry about your financial success. Tune in to Duffy's Financial Playbook, Saturdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to iir at comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to segment three of All Around Sports. And to join the show, the call-in number is 1-888-346-9144, or you can email me at iir at comcast.net. And joining us on the line now is our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. And Barry, thank you for joining us, and what a week, huh? What a week, and what a, what a night on Thursday. I mean, we were, we were talking about this briefly during the break, but it was just... To me, it doesn't, you know, it really doesn't get much more dramatic than that. I mean, you have two games, and, you know, really you have four games because, you know, we've been talking about, about the Red Sox, but, you know, the, the Braves and the, and the Cardinals were in the exact same situation. You had one team, the Braves, were you know, had a pretty substantial lead, and then uh, they have a terrible September. And then the Cardinals come, you know, from nowhere, as the Rays did, and just had an unconscious September forcing the issue on, on that final light. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, just switching back and forth on my remote uh, Thursday night, just watching, you know, the, how it unfolded and how everything wound up, uh, you know, with the first with the Yankees-Rays game and then with the Red Sox, uh, well, actually the opposite way, the Red Sox-Orioles first and the Rays-Yankees. It was just, it was incredible television. It was incredible theater. It was incredible drama. And, you know, from the Red Sox being in a situation where they're one strike away from, at, least, at the very least, living another day and, you know, kind of at least, you know, sticking the demons back under the blankets at least for 24 hours, going from that, from suddenly losing the game to just as suddenly, uh, moments later, being out of the playoffs was just, it was, it was, it was spellbinding. And, you know, there's really, 
no other way to describe it. It was just, you know, you know sports just it, it just gives us that opportunity. It's all about reality TV. I mean, that, that's about as, as as dramatic reality TV as you can get. You know, to have the Red Sox season end and have them have them stunned, just losing the game, and then you flip your channel, and then literally just two minutes later, Longoria's home run ends the season. So it was just, it was unbelievable the way it ended. It was, uh, I don't know that we've, we've seen anything like that, or we will see anything like that for, for a long time. It was just tremendous television. And, you know, whether you're a Red Sox fan or not, you know, I mean, obviously myself, you know, being a Mets fan, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of used to uh, cataclysmic uh, collapses in September. So, you know, for all our Red Sox fans that, that are listening, my, my, you know, my, I, I, feel, I feel your pain today. I really do. But... And welcome to the club. Kind of step out and look at what happened. It was just, it was unbelievable. It really was just drama. Yeah, well, you used the term I used at the top of the show, which was, again, reality television. You know, that's what I think why we love sports, why, we, why I do this show and you do this show is Absolutely. there's no better reality television than sports, period. And, uh, again, it was just so unbelievable. Um Knowing you work at the New York Post, I'm going to ask you a question that I think is absolutely ridiculous, but, you know, as often happens in these situations, there is an element of Red Sox Nation talking about, you know, quote, the Yankees laying down, which to me is absolutely ridiculous. Number one, they didn't lay down. The starting lineup they put out there on Wednesday night was fabulous, uh, sans the starting pitcher, but the rest of the lineup was terrific, and... Um, you know, they played it exactly the way they should play it since they have a, a playoff game starting, unlike the Red Sox, starting in about uh, six hours. So That's right. That's right. And, what, you know, what's your um, take on that, just knowing your New York location? Well, you know, I, I realize that there's a, lot, there's, a, there's a lot of angst in Red, so- in Red Sox Nation um, about, uh, you know, especially the way things went down Thursday. I mean, you, you have the... You have a situation where it's a one-run game, and you know a situation where the Yankees led that game seven nothing. And I think in normal circumstances, you know, you certainly would have had, uh, you know, some other uh, some other players on the field uh, as as the game got closer and closer. Certainly, you would have had, certainly the the greatest closer of all time would not have been sitting in the dugout wearing his jacket, uh, eating sunflower seeds, sitting next to uh, uh, Alex Rodriguez. So you know, you have that. But however, yes. So all that said, you know. You can't blame the Yankees for putting the people out there. They did, you know, they they, they have their own issues to worry about. And you know, they, you know, what if they had put Rivera out in that situation? What, I mean, what did the Yankees gain from that, really? You know, nothing. Um, yep. That's, that, that the game really to them, it did. You know, obviously they had to they had to play the game and they had to you know in the spirit. Yeah, and I think the Yankees, you know, they the, they honored the competitive spirit of sports in general, baseball in particular. They just, uh, you know, again, put out a, a completely representative lineup. They had 11 pitchers play, uh, which is more than most. But, you know, I mean, they're thinking postseason. They're not thinking Red Sox-Orioles. They're not thinking Rays, for that matter, the team on the other side of the field that night. They are thinking one thing, which is how to best prepare for the postseason, which, again, begins for them in a number matter of hours. And, you know... Again, of all the crazy things I've heard in the last uh, 36 hours up here in Boston, uh, that that one just doesn't hold any water whatsoever. To me, it's absolutely laughable that 
uh, in any way, shape, or form, the Yankees could possibly be tied into the Red Sox collapse or and or the Tampa Bay Rays come back. So it's uh, time for another break, and hopefully sticking with us on the other side will be our weekly call-in expert, Barry Rubenstein from the New York Post. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. The Sports Mavericks Show redefines the elite athlete by bridging the gap between parents, athletes, and the community. Host Ida Moyer, a.k.a. the Oprah of Sports, brings to the Voice America Network original programming, balancing the pursuit of academic excellence and sports participation. The Sports Mavericks Show airs every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Listeners will be engaged in straightforward talk, spontaneous and unscripted by the experts. Ida and her guests will explore the challenges of success and failure in sports and will help athletes and their parents navigate the transition from high school, college, and then on to the pros. We put fun back into sports and recognize role models in sports through our Sports Mavericks All-Star Award program. Tune in Tuesday evenings at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time with Ida Mouillet and the Sports Mavericks Show right here on The Voice. Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're listening to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Become a part of today's show by calling 1 888 346 9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or by sending an email to IIR at Comcast.net. Now, back to the show. Voice America, welcome back to the fourth and final segment of All Around Sports, our 25th silver anniversary show, I might add. And back on the line with us is uh, Barry Rubenstein of the New York Post. And Barry... uh, we're up here talking some Northeast base, baseball. Yes, that is quite a milestone, and you've been a big part of it. So thank you. We, oh, we, thank we you. made it to 25. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's worth mentioning twice. I mentioned it at the top, but I want to mention it again. And, Barry, you know, we were talking Northeast baseball since we're here in the Northeast. Red Sox, Yankees. There's another Northeast baseball team that was involved in some pretty high drama Wednesday night. I thought that that was sort of like, you know, the icing on the cake. I mean, Red Sox, Orioles, Rays, Yankees, in and of itself was just spectacular television. But, boy, when you drop in the middle of all that, you know, that Philadelphia Phillies, the Northeast baseball team of which I speak, the the, the third of the big three, shall we say, uh, dropped that Braves-Phillies game in there. And uh, I, I thought that's what just really kind of took it over the top to make it, you, you know, again, watching three baseball games, trying to literally see every pitch, switching channels. That's what I was doing. I'm guessing that's what you were doing and millions of other sports fans were doing. And... That was just incredible to see, uh, you know. So the Phillies showed that I think they're ready for the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I think the Phillies have been ready for the postseason since in spring training. I really do. Right, I mean, there you go. 
Good with point. Teaching and, and, with, and, with the, and with the lineup they, they can parade out every day, and, you know, I, I think they're an incredible team. They're, they're, they're terrific, and, um, you know, uh, as, far as, as far as, you know, going into the, into the playoffs, like I said, they've been ready for this all year, and they've been talking about, you know, uh, going, going very, very far since day one, and I don't see any, anything that's really going to hold them back for, from, you know, at least getting to the World Series. And you know, and, uh, and possibly winning it, um, you know. With, with that. Well, you know, Barry, we've talked a lot about the collapse of the Boston Red Sox, and the key reason why was obviously starting pitching went south. That's being kind; it disappeared, oh, yeah. is oh, yeah. what you should say. And at the other end of the spectrum. We have, of course, the Phillies' starting rotation, quite possibly, and this is going to be their chance to prove it. They win the World Series, or could, depending on how it plays out, but there's, they, they could go down as the greatest starting rotation in the history of baseball. And uh, I believe it was a year ago today, if I'm not mistaken, not technically by the calendar, but by that I mean the first game of the postseason where Roy Halladay last year pitched the no-hitter, which was just... An incredible way to launch last year's postseason. Yeah, and they, you know, they're, they're well, like I said, they're just, they're just tremendous. And yeah, there's, you know, you can you can lay out all the accolades you want on them, any kind of adjectives you want, any, any kind of uh, uh, descriptions you want. They're they're just great. They're a, they're a, they're a great team, great pitching, and you know they they have the offense to back up that pitching. And you know, quite frankly, when you have when you have that kind of rotation, you don't need much more than two, three runs a game, and you know that lineup uh, can certainly uh, provide that. So you know they're going to the postseason. That's, the Phils are in great shape. They really are, and they showed again Wednesday night. You know, everything on the line for Atlanta. Absolutely nothing on the line for Philadelphia. They're playing the game in Atlanta, and boy, by the time they got around to the extra innings and into the 13th. I mean, they had the eye of the tiger. They wanted to win that game, and boy, I can't think of a better way to go into the playoffs with, again, the eye of the tiger than, you know, winning that game, knocking out Atlanta, completing the second biggest collapse in baseball history, and uh, yeah, they're going to be ready, and on the other side of the ledger, uh, we have, of course, your New York Yankees, and What's the mood in New York? You get underway tonight at eight o'clock, right? Yeah, I think uh, eight thirty-seven start time. I believe exactly. It'll be. <laughs> oh, that's right. I better start getting ready for uh, lack of sleep here in October. Yeah, Thanks for reminding me. Of, <laughs> a lot of lack of sleep uh, coming in the next few weeks. Believe me, for all of us. That's right. Um, yeah, uh, the Yankees are, are, are they're going to the playoffs in, in, in pretty good shape. You know, there, there's there is some question about some of the starting pitching. Once you get past uh, CC Sebastian and uh, Ivan Nova, you know who's going to make that start in Game Three. Uh, you know, will it be? You know, at, at this point, they're leaning to their uh, leaning toward uh, Garcia, but it could be Burnett, could be Cologne. I don't think they've totally decided that yet. But um, you know, really, you get past that. Really, that's really the only blemish they have to worry about from pitching point of view because they've already they, there's they've already pretty much said that. Uh, Sabathia will start Game Four, and if there is a Game Five, Nova will be the starter in Game Five. So really, the only game they really, really have to worry about where the pitching could be an issue is Game Three. You know, Sabathia has been so great all year, and Nova's been has really breakout season as well. And you know, we know what we know what the offense can do. But I got to tell you, you know, 
Don't don't overlook Detroit either, and I think that that's a mistake that people can make. I mean, you talk about great starting pitch. I mean, Berlander is going to win the Cy Young. He's a he's a great 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 pitcher, and I think um, a dark horse that that they've acquired during the season when they picked up Doug Fister from uh, Seattle. Here's a guy who uh, he his strikeout to walk ratio is something insane. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but yeah, I can tell you that. Since the, he was really good before the trade, when he was pitching for Seattle, they just didn't score any runs from. Then you put a guy like that that strikes out a lot of guys, doesn't walk a lot of guys, you know, pitches, you know, eats up a lot of innings. Put him with that Detroit lineup, and the guy has been tremendous since that trade. So there's a guy that that really helps and can really put them over the top. Then you got an offense that they have. You know, it's not going to be a walkover by any means. I think the Yankees will be favored. The Yankees probably will win this series, but I could see it going five. I could definitely see this one going the distance. And, uh, you know, so the, my message would be do not underestimate the Detroit Tigers. They've had a great season, you know, great manager that knows, knows what he's doing. And, uh, you know, this, this, this one might be tougher than some people think. Correct. I totally agree. And if you think about, uh, you know, since they lost in 04 to the Red Sox in the greatest comeback ever, the worst moment in Yankee history, in my mind, since then has been a couple of year. It was a couple of years ago when they were shocked by the Tigers, and right. there was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of skins on the wall after that one. And here, here they are again up against the Tigers. So one thing's for sure: many of these Tigers, including Verlander, know how to beat the Yankees in the postseason. They've done it before. That's right, and you know, like I said, I, I think, I think if. If the Tigers were to beat the Yankees in this series, I think I think there would be a lot of uh, similar feelings in the Yankees universe as there is in Red Sox Nation right now. Maybe not quite uh, as extreme, but uh, they'll be they would be very upset if they lost this series because they, they expect to win. But it wouldn't shock me if Detroit won this series. It really wouldn't. Uh, I think no. they've got the goods. They've they've got the pitching, and we and we were just talking about you know the Phillies. You know, great great pitching is what wins in the postseason. You know, that's been proven over time. And that's uh, and we all know that. Uh, so uh, you know, it wouldn't it, it would shock a lot of people. I think that were you know, diehard Yankee fans, but would not shock me, and obviously wouldn't shock you either. Absolutely not. And uh, as we go to close here for the show, uh, you know, I I for one can't wait to watch Tampa Bay again. You know, when when last seen, Tampa Bay was providing. Uh, you know, some of the greatest drama in the history of baseball uh, a mere 36 hours ago. And uh, a mere hour or two from now, we get to watch them again. And I just can't wait to see it against Texas, who was in the World Series last year. So we're down to our last minute or two. But what's your quick thoughts on uh, on that series? Wow. You know, if, 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 you know, if you believe in destiny, if you believe in all that stuff, you know, I think you have to go with Tampa Bay. Um you know, they're, 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 they, 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 you, know, you talk about teams that, that get hot at the right time, well, there you go. You know, the, in the dictionary, you got the, the Tampa Bay Rays. You can make a case for the St. Louis Cardinals doing the same thing in the National League. But, you yeah. know, if you know, the Rays are on a roll, they've got the confidence. You know, um, you know nationally, I don't know what, what appeal they have nationally, but you know, it's, a, it's a great story, certainly, uh, given you know, what they did to the Red Sox, how they've affected this race. Um, you know, I would expect that to continue. I mean, they've got some pretty good pitching in their own right, too. I mean, uh, you could put uh, David Price up against anybody, I think. And they, uh, they've got the, a lineup that can hit, a lineup that's clutch. You know, that the, you know, the biggest hit of Evan Longoria's career, obviously, 36 hours ago. So, 
you know, I, I, I look for them to keep that up. And, you know, the, the Rangers are a very good team, too. But I, I think Tampa could win that series. I really do. And I, and I think uh, if you just go by momentum, which in baseball, you know, the baseball is a very momentum-driven sport, um, I, I, think, I think the Rays, uh, the Rays uh, handle themselves very well. And I have a feeling they'll continue to do that. Well, I agree, Barry, and as always, thank you so much for your time. And finally, my pick of the weekend for appointment viewing is, of course, the baseball playoffs and to see if the drama from Wednesday night carries over. So as always, thank you for listening to All Around Sports and have a great weekend, and we look forward to doing it all again next Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks again for tuning in to All Around Sports with your host, John Inglesby. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a terrific weekend, and we'll talk sports again next week.